Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, my name is Dana Shrigal. I'm a kinky wellness coach and owner of The Partition, home of kinky wellness. Each Monday, I bring on a guest to discuss why kinky sexual wellness deserves a seat in the wellness conversation. You can catch my solo shows on Wednesdays, but let's jump into it. Hey, and welcome back. Today, we are with D20 Dom, who is a polyamorous professional human behavioral expert, PhD, and alternative lifestyles coach who's going to be speaking with us on self-improvement. Her other passion topics include female empowerment, hypnotherapy, sexual awareness, and authentic living. She has been involved in active alternative lifestyle expressions for the past 15 plus years and has been a featured presenter, performer, and speaker on international stages and screens that showcase those lifestyles. So let's welcome D20 Dom so we can talk about self-awareness and living authentically. So welcome to the show, D20 Dom. How are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and I'm excited to dive into your expertise as today we talk about self-awareness. Uh, this is a topic I love, and it's something that I think is really beneficial to everyone. Everyone can benefit from self-awareness. Well, that's the thing about it. So what would you say is your definition of self-awareness, or how would you explain it to someone who doesn't know? <laughs> Uh, this is a funny question. I read that according to research by a uh, researcher that 95% of people actually claim to be self-aware when only about 10 to 15% are actually acting on that self-awareness. And so I think for a lot of people, self-awareness is really ambiguous. Um, but one of the key components to it is going to be mindfulness and emotional intelligence. So that's what I would say self-awareness is. It's having that awareness, not only of what goes on inside you, but outside of you and how that's affecting your experience of life. Actually, and to your point, I would like to say that it actually is something that takes years to develop. Sometimes it's not, you can try to be self-aware every single day, but it isn't until I think I heard something like two to five years. So you really can see and you kind of like a third person mindset about self-awareness. Sure, sure. Absolutely. For me, my self-awareness played a huge part in me kind of tampering down my anger. I'm one of those people who goes from zero to 100 instantly. And it's not fun to do that and then have to explain yourself. And so through the course of working through that over the years, I kept thinking, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I'm not so angry. But only about five years after starting the classes for the anger management and doing other self-work, was I able to see myself in situations where I knew previously I would have gone from zero to 100, but I was able to step back, take time and act differently. And that to me was like the marker that I was on the right track. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree with you. I feel like my anger too, it was one of those things, but also the critical thinking of what was going on in my head. I think being mm -hmm. self-aware to catch myself to say, oh, no, you're going down that road again. Stop, stop, mm -hmm. stop. Mm -hmm. So that was a big deal. Absolutely. Self-awareness really gives us the power to influence outcomes. It helps us become better decision makers. It gives us more self-confidence. So as a result, we can communicate with clarity and intention for everyone. Absolutely. So in your practice, you have a kind of a three steps to self-awareness that you go through. And would you mind breaking that down or I guess like a quick tip of how you can do this? 
Sure, sure. So I would say um, if you want to try to be self-aware, because again, as Dana just said, it's a process. It's going to take a bit to do that. So I would absolutely start by identifying where you want to be more self-aware. For some people, like I said, for me, it was making sure to keep my anger in check and how I was speaking to people in those moments. So try to figure out where you want to be more self-aware because it is an umbrella term, but it's helpful if you start in a specific area and then start researching whatever that looks like. Get on podcasts like this, read books, go to websites, watch YouTube videos, whatever you can to sort of give yourself that edge and knowledge of the area that you're looking to improve is going to be helpful. And then start implementing that in really small doses and see how that carries on. See what you need to pivot, what you need to modify. Um, there was the tactic that I learned with anger management that was like count to 10. And that was just silly to me. I was like, I'm not a count to 10 person. But what I can do is when I get mad, I've named my anger George. And so when I get mad, I go, George, what is it? And it just takes me out of that space because it's so silly. So find little ways that you can practice these nuggets of information you've gotten about self-awareness and put them into practice and keep putting them into practice over and over and over. Don't give up because you had a bad day with self-awareness. Well, into your point, like not this type of person, like I don't want to count to 10. I think that's also something that a lot of people struggle with. It's that we can be multiple versions. We do need to adapt, I guess, these little silly things, but they help so much in the long run. And so when you mm -hmm. start implementing these small, small things like journaling, I know journal people don't want to write. So we, you know, you have your phone on you, text it down, put it down. Yep. These things that we don't want to do that take up too much time, they really don't take that much time up. They don't. I always tell people, if you do not have this time for yourself, you're doing a disservice to yourself. If you don't have five minutes to type notes in your phone, you don't have to do a journal pen and paper. I know a lot of people hear journaling and that's instantly what they think you, I have Google documents. I've got notes on my phone, just little, little things I don't want to forget, or I want to remind myself to recenter. You don't have to make a big show about the self-awareness steps. It's just, it's literally five minutes a day <laughs> that you can give to yourself. And um, at first it will feel like a chore, but once you do it enough, it's going to feel like a reward. It's going to feel like a part of your routine and a part of who you are. Absolutely. And it kind of ties into meditation too. this debrief. Mm -hmm. And I think people, they claim self-awareness. Maybe they put on an eye mask. They take a good soak in a bath, but <laughs> they'll claim and it is great. You know what? Everybody loves that. But it's further than that. Self-awareness and meditation. It's further than just putting on these things. It's really going into your inwardly and sitting with those uncomfortable feelings and not using a bath or a mask to kind of push them away yeah. to the side. And I think that people, when it comes to that, mistake that as self-care in some instances. I call that the surface self-care. The, you know, you've seen it on Instagram, you see it in the store. It says self-care. It's got a sign on it. So it must be for self-care. And those are the superfluous kinds of self-care. They may get you ready for the things that you want to do, but they're not necessarily what I would identify as self-care. And that's why it's important to check in with yourself at various times in life to just reconnect with who you are, what needs you have that are changing, and make plans to be the best version of yourself that you can be so you're fulfilled. Absolutely. So in addition to this, what would you say are some signs or characteristics of a self-aware person or I guess what someone would need to develop? 
I would say that, you know, we've talked about self-awareness being a key to being a good decision maker, right? And it allows you to know your triggers and then avoid making impulse decisions that you might later regret. And so this is why the high level of self-awareness is often found in successful leaders. Uh, when you're self-aware, you're more likely to be able to control your reactions, respond constructively to criticism, and also maintain those healthy relationships. So the first step is going to be talking less and listening more. A person with a high level of self-awareness is always in tune with what's on their mind, like you said, Dana, but they don't necessarily need to display that fake image of themselves to make an impression, nor do they need to make their presence known all the time. So I would say absolutely talking less and listening more is one of the first signs of a self-aware person. Absolutely. I actually think that we have a knee-jerk reaction to respond to absolutely everything. And it's one, it's a time waster. Two, it's unnecessary sometimes. And also certain people don't need you to respond every single time. There's hierarchy of yes. people in your life. And I don't think everybody deserves a reaction every time they do something to you. Nope. I think that's a great way to put it as well. I blame social media. Um, I could go on a rant of social media, but in general, I feel like this new modern age of making yourself available 24 seven is just the norm. And it used to be, you know, you had to call someone on a phone, you had to stand by a wall to talk to someone and wait until they got home. So I think this notion of being on and available to everyone is to the detriment of us on a whole. I would say the next sign of a self-aware person is absolutely going to be they're observing themselves. Self-awareness does not mean overreaching and trying to learn even more about oneself when you already have a high degree of self-understanding. It just means you're constantly interested in observing your spontaneous reactions to whatever is happening around you. So I always take clues from people who tell me, oh, I know when I'm in this situation, this is what happens to me. For me, that's a self-aware person who already knows their pattern of reaction. So look at people who are observing themselves and know things about themselves. Yes. And I think it's honesty as well, like not just observing our positive traits, but it really comes down to focusing on our negative reactions as well. And, you know, people can easily identify when someone's hurting them, but it's very difficult for people to identify when we're hurting another person. And that really ties into being self-aware. Like, do you know? And that's another thing too, like in BDSM and kink and I guess of overall sexual experiences, you need self-awareness. You need a high level oh, yes. of it. So you know when you're hurting someone incorrectly to what's mm -hmm, actually going mm -hmm. on. And those subtle cues of someone's body and breath and skin color changing and all of these things. So in yourself and in your partner. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the last things I would say is a pretty big sign of someone who's self-aware is that they are absolutely seeking there's a different point of view from another person who's always useful. A person with a high level of self-awareness is going to be looking for that constructive criticism in order to improve where it's needed. They really want to discover, as you said, the flaws that may um, be holding them back from the improvement that they're looking for so that they can feel more fulfilled. And so a lot of us take criticisms really personal, right? It's hard not to because we're human. When we hear someone say, you hurt my feelings, our knee-jerk reaction is to be like, well, no, I didn't, or want to explain yourself when we really should do what I said, which was the first thing is stop and listen and really hear what someone's trying to say to you. So wanting that constructive feedback and being able to 
implement it if necessary is a huge, huge sign of self-awareness. Just because you get feedback doesn't mean it's good feedback. And so make sure you're able to discern the feedback that you are getting. Absolutely. I think that's a good piece of advice. Just because we get told something, you know, they don't know everything about you. So that's okay. You know, take what you can and leave what doesn't serve. So, and just continue to move on. But I would say when it comes comes to self-awareness, I really learned this through sexual healing. It was a place where it was able to come back. And so I think mm-hmm. that if you're, I do believe that kinky wellness, BDSM and kink sexual experiences can build off of self-awareness if you're open for feedback. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say so too, as well. Your personal growth is highly dependent on your sexual awareness. And this is a person's self-concept that's connected to and includes any sort of sexual orientation, their gender expression, biological sex. Most people kind of get these ideas about sex and gender, such as what I've just listed from a variety of sources like media and school and culture and your faith, your community, your society. And so sexual self-awareness is really about moving from an outside experience of our sexuality to an inside out experience of our sexuality. It's the really the best way to find out more about yourself in the context of this trust for yourself and the emotional safety that you're building so that you can lead to these deeper connections. Absolutely. And I'm not too sure there's any other place quite like it. It's because it's just such a freeing and expanding sense of a space that you can do. It can go on forever. And because of our imagination, we really can be self-aware in so many different Mm -hmm. avenues if we wanted to creating different situations. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so too. And if you are going to use, um, or just, I guess, explore the sexual, uh, awareness Avenue to build up your own self-awareness, I would say this is really about identifying the inner and outer resources for your own personal comfort and safety. The sexual energy I'm talking about provides an openness that really allows us to be deeply impressionable. And so this is really amazing when our impressions are safe and supported and healthy. But for most of us, our sexual selves also contain impressions of shame and pain. And so before we consciously explore sexual self-care and sexual awareness, it's important to identify those sources that you have already for comfort and safety so that if you have something painful that happens, you already have built the pathway to regulation for fixing that. Absolutely. Well, this kind of rolls into my next comment about misconceptions around self-awareness. For example, this is way more complicated than someone would assume. So I do think there are misconceptions, but I'd like to hear if you have any that you would like to point out or identify that are not correct or things that people do believe about self-awareness that aren't helpful. The most common uh, misconception I would say I encounter is definitely when people come to me and say, okay, self-awareness is just mindfulness and being chill and stress-free. And I have to tell them, no, no. Many people come into self-awareness and mindfulness expecting it to be very peaceful and very calming, which is understandable since there's a lot of images of this around where it's quite idealized. But research has strongly indicated that mindfulness practice supports these states of relaxation, but that is not what it's about. I really emphasize that the ultimate intention behind mindfulness and self-awareness is to support your awareness and not manufacture a certain state of emotion. So if you are feeling peaceful and calm during it, awesome. 
But for a lot of people, self-awareness is going to harbor a lot of growing pains. And it's important that you recognize it as growing pains. This is you growing into a new version of yourself. It's not going to be pretty, but you are going to benefit so much from the results on the other end. Oh, I, it is. Uh, I love your comment about growing pains because that really is. It's temporary. It, it, like it's temporary if you keep going. That's the thing. You don't want to stop. But I feel like with self-awareness, some people become overwhelmed and they would prefer this illusion of, you know what? I'm OK as I am. And they throw up a yep. wall, which is unfortunate because you you limit you can't grow past that. And so yep. you're going to be stuck in that pain because you chose not to continue your growth, I guess I could say. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I've noticed that too, a lot. Um, some people want to push away or ignore these unpleasant experiences or triggers that they may find through the self-awareness activities that they're doing, but all they're doing is delaying their own self-awareness growth by doing that. I always tell people, you learn to ride a bike. How many times did you fall down? Many people don't know. They have no idea how many times they fell down while trying to ride a bike. All they know is that now they can ride a bike. And so I always tell people, don't get so locked up on on the unpleasant experiences or triggers. These are minor falls off your bike as you learn to ride the bike of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's a long journey. So just be prepared. It's not a sprint. <laughs> this is a marathon that you're going to be going and enduring. So, and also get some support systems. I would say people that can genuinely give you feedback and like, it's not beneficial to be around people that are just echo chambering back to you. Like you want yes. these positive people to say, Hey, you're kind of acting up or, Hey, like, do you want to act like this right now? Is that necessary? That's, I love that. I always tell my friends, like, you guys are here to keep me in check. I'm here to keep you in check. And I want that out of my friendships. And I also like to remind people that self-awareness is not a binary state. It's a spectrum. A lot of individuals have a higher degree of self-awareness than others. And like I mentioned before, a lot of people believe that they're self-aware, but true self-awareness is actually an extraordinary quality. So even if you find this unicorn who is self-aware and sees themselves clearly, they may not have a clue as to how others perceive them. So awareness really is not something that you either have or you don't. There's degrees of awareness and it exists on a spectrum. So often this lack of awareness, it comes from the forefront because some kind of external factor is there that's not going away. So just remember that you can be as self-aware as you are. That's it. It's a spectrum. It's not an you are or you aren't. Everyone's on a self-aware spectrum, just at different places. Oh, I love that. I think that's great. I've actually never heard it kind of described that way because I do think that that's a misconception I would say on my side or what I see is that yeah it is you either have it or you don't but yeah a lot of people will be self-aware and the things that they bring them joy or the positive attributes of them but then they limit their self-awareness on the things that may be hurting other people and they don't know so yes that's a great point but also rolling into this self-awareness is what helps us to live authentically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I pretty much don't do anything in my life that doesn't involve living authentically. Your authentic self is who you really are deep down. This is the part of you that doesn't care what others think. This is really hard for a lot of people to detach from this. Learning how to be your authentic self is just an essential 
part of building meaningful relationships. And that's the also the relationship with yourself. It happens when your words, your actions, and your behaviors consistently match your core identity. Absolutely. I think when it comes to authentic self, living authentically, you need to be connected to your sexual self. If you're not, then you're not going to be able to live authentically. And there's a lot of people right now that their sexual self, their sexual health, even it's like the lowest thing on the level of health. Like we'll go dentist, doctors, eye appointments, you name it, like eat better, go to the gym, yeah. whatever it is. But when it comes to sexual health and our sexual selves, it's not on the list even. No, no. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's like you said, it goes on the back burner and that can come from a lot of people just struggling with being able to express themselves openly, having the space to figure out who they are and knowing what they want out of life. Um, these are a lot of big questions that I'm, I'm throwing out here, but they don't have to be overwhelming. They are concrete, actionable ways to just go about finding these things out and expressing your more authentic self. So I think a lot of people are really worried that their true self is not going to be accepted, but you'll never know that until you actually do it. And beyond that, if you accept yourself, then no one else can take that from you. Um, and that's really what being authentic is about. Yeah. And I believe a little I do believe in, you know, what you put out, you get back. So if you start living your authentic self, the universe will give you the people that are supposed to be in your tribe, like that's what it's going to happen. But how are you to find these people that are going to support your authentic self if you yourself can't accept yourself first? And there's that vicious circle that it starts with <laughs> yourself first before you can find others. <laughs> Yes, yes. You cannot be authentic if you don't believe in yourself and your ability to shape your life the way you want. You have to believe in yourself. Well, when it comes to living authentically, what do you see are most common struggles that people face? Oh, this is so easy because we live in a world of social pressure and expectations. There are some ways that it can really be difficult to live authentically. You will find out that you're trying to conform to society and your peers. Um, you may feel disconnected from those around you as you sort of try to go your own path. When I started my self-awareness and improvement path, I lost a lot of friends who um, I never thought would be that touchy. You know, one of the things I pride myself on is I've been alcohol free for four years, just a choice. I didn't have a problem. I just wanted to. And so many of my friends felt that was an affront on them and hanging out with them. And so they just don't want to hang out with me because I don't drink anymore, which is mind boggling to me. These are people I've known for over a decade. So you may feel disconnected from people as you go on this path to self-awareness. And it may feel really challenging to stay true to the things that you're passionate about that you're pursuing. And finding people with those interests is a big struggle when you're on the path to self-awareness. So try to stay true to yourself again in these situations so that you're not so misunderstood, especially because it's going to feel like you're the only person experiencing this, these growing pains. It's coming from within. Absolutely. To your story, I, I have a similar thing where when I got out of, I guess, like, you know, the party scene, you could say, and I realized that at first I was hurt when they like when my friends didn't want to hang out with me anymore, all these things. But I realized that they knew the non-authentic self of me. They didn't know yeah. me. I didn't know myself. So how could they? I couldn't be angry mm -hmm. anymore at them or anybody like that because I realized that I actually was the one who made the original mistake. Yep. 
Yeah, that's so that's so funny you say that. I was a I'm a former party girl as well. <laughs> and I think people just really got used to that version of me, which was just, you know, it's just faucet of you. It's who you are at that time. It's not who you're going to be forever. And it, that's why it's so tough to live authentically. It's hard to put yourself out there, especially when you're not used to expressing your individuality. And that's why it takes time to figure out what's going to work best for you in order to live that authentic life. So Focus on the progress, not the perfection of it when you're looking for ways to be more authentic. Yes. And with when it comes to the progress, what would you say some steps you could take to be a little bit more authentic? So the first step is going to be <laughs> figuring out which of your beliefs are actually yours. This was a huge mm. hurdle for me. As children, we often take on beliefs of the people we spend the most time with. So that's going to be our parents and our family and teachers and other peers. So just think about that and think about how you are living your life if you're carrying these beliefs without questioning them. How many of your current beliefs are actually yours? Where did those beliefs originate from? And do they align and support you? Or are they keeping you living and playing small? You don't have to keep any of those beliefs. They're not your identity. It's okay to let go of anything that doesn't support the person you're aspiring to be. And for me, I had to let that go. There's a lot of idealism in my family where my parents did a very big job on living the perfect life. From the outside, we had everything perfect, right? Everything had to be just so, but that is not what it looked like in the back of the house. And so it's really important to me that I don't get stuck in that image thing of like, you know, making sure I'm putting on a good front. I want everyone to see the good and the bad of me. So make sure you check your beliefs and see where they're coming from and if they're actually yours. Yes. I, I had a similar childhood. I think that a lot of people do with this idea of, again, social media, like put out your best forward, like your best foot forward all the time. And I'm not saying like go on social media, cry, whatever. If you do use it how you want, but in the same breath, when it comes to the news that you're also taking in, the things that you're learning as well, like these belief systems, people don't understand that there is something that can be built upon. So if you were told something when you were really little and there was, you know, you didn't question it. You kind of just went with the flow and it got older and older and older. It's harder to let go of those beliefs the older you get, because I think that people cling onto it. Like, this is my identity. If I let go of this, I don't know who I am. Who but I Yeah. Mm -hmm. And living authentically, sometimes you don't know. That's the thing. You don't know right off the bat when you first start this. No, you don't. That's why I would say the next step to living authentically is to figure out what your gifts are. We're all born with an array of gifts or superpowers, which are really unique to us. There's no good ones. There's no bad ones. Um, it's just your gift. And so in those gifts, when you identify it, you'll get a glimpse of a clearer picture of the person that you are in your heart of hearts. I've always been a fairly extroverted person who speaks when <laughs> I have something I really want to say. I love talking. I'm good at it. But in school, I always wish that I was one of the quieter ones. I wish that I wasn't cracking up, making people laugh in class who didn't have to say everything that they were thinking. But now I realize that just wasn't me. It took me a lot of years to really realize that I will never be quiet or introverted. And that's beautiful. My gift is being strong, confident, being a leader. It's made me a great mentor and a coach in all of the women that I work with um, in my sacred work. And so I love that. So figure out what your gifts are and then spend time discovering and embracing whatever they are. They were given to you for a reason. So figure out what they are. 
Absolutely. And I think when you don't discover what those gifts are, you don't do this work, things will happen to you. So in your opinion or what in your practice, what have you seen when someone doesn't live authentically? Like what happens to them externally and internally? Sure, sure. There's a lot of reasons that we, again, try to hide who we are. And sometimes we really do just not know who we are. We just don't have that awareness. We're putting on a fake front because that's all we know. And so the emotional consequences of leading a not authentic life are going to be pretty easy to identify. There's the low self-esteem because you're not being accepted for who you are. There's the low confidence because you feel like maybe you're not good enough to be yourself with these people or out in the world. That's going to affect your self-worth. You're going to feel like a fraud because every time you go out in the world, you're not being your true self. And so um, a lot of this, as you are hearing, it feels like it's just caging you. You may feel like a caged tiger sometimes when you're not being your authentic self, um, which is also going to just point to more low self-respect. You are not going to be able to respect yourself. You're not going to be able to earn the respect of others if you're not actively living a truthful life. I've worked with people who say, but uh, you know, everyone likes me and it's but do they like you? Do they know you? Or do they know the version that you have manufactured to make everyone like? So really step into those places, like Dana was saying, the shadow side, which might make you uncomfortable, but these are the real consequences of being a fake version of yourself to everyone else. It's it's not good for anyone. Yeah, I think that's also true. Like we've got grown up in this society where everyone has to like us. Like, if someone doesn't like you, then something's wrong with you. But that's, you know, we are allowed to disagree. We are allowed to not like every single person. I think that's such an issue. Like, everybody has to like me. We all have to get along and agree on everything. And if we don't, then, (laughs) you know, all hell will break loose. And that's more damaging than just saying, hey, I agree to disagree with you. Like, let's just move on and just carry on our own way. That comes back to people taking things very personally. And if you are going to not live authentically and, you know, suffer some of those emotional detriments, you're also going to suffer some physical ones. They are going to lead to some serious health problems over time. The physical consequences of living an inauthentic life are going to be the things that I (laughs) experienced, stress, tension, anxiety. Um, You may also experience depression, high blood pressure, having unexplainable aches and pains and headaches. Um, I had a huge jaw pain and I didn't know why. And my doctor was like, you're grinding (laughs) your teeth in your sleep. You can also just get lowered immunity. So you're less likely to fight off illnesses and colds, which is not what we want in this pandemic post time. So um, it can really affect you a lot inside and outside if you're being inauthentic with yourself. So I feel like this is like, for a lot of people, they're not going to recognize these consequences that they are dealing with. They might think they're from something else. I've worked too hard. I've, you know, I've overextended myself. And that's not really what it's what it's about. If you're trying to relieve yourself with medication or unhealthy strategies like drinking too much alcohol or eating too much food, if any of these consequences resonate with you, it's probably a time for you to take a step back and look at your authentic life and see if you are living the way you want to live. Absolutely. And I think one of those things is to identify that something that you've been working on, you can change your mind. I think we struggle in a time where people are going for university degrees and college diplomas and, you know, they get out of school and they've said, oh, I've worked for five years, four years on this. But deep down inside, they don't want to do it anymore. 
And I find that that is such a painful progress as well to just be, you know what, regardless of the money, the time, the whatever, this is just not going to serve me for the rest of my life. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I got here. I had my dream job. You know, it's the job I went to school for. It was just, it was everything I ever wanted. And I had to keep telling myself that for nine years as I struggled with 75, 80 hour weeks, constantly being away from my home and my friends and traveling, but it paid a lot of money and it was glamorous and all these things. But deep inside, I was extremely unhappy with it. That's where the stress and the anxiety came from was working this job that just wasn't sitting well with me anymore. And so breaking that off was a huge part of me. It was, you know, it had become somewhat of my identity. I'd been doing it for nine years. People knew about it and always, you know, gave me positive feedback about it. And so when I wanted to quit, lots of people said, oh my gosh, you're crazy. What are you doing? Um, (laughs) And they just couldn't understand that what I was doing was just good for me and not for anyone else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think because a lot of people can't come to terms with breaking off from their own mistakes, it's one of these things, well, because I didn't leave, why are you leaving? And as much as that might be annoying for some someone to might hear, but I do believe that's the truth. I do believe there's like larger amount of people that just won't accept their mistakes. So they try to push people and say, no, stay, it's safer here. Look at your, you know, retirement package, (laughs) all of these things. So <laughs> were you there when I was getting yeah. it? So you're saying all the things that everyone said. I mean, it's, it's one of those things about if I suffer, you have to suffer. You're seeing it with the college, you know, forgiveness loans, but it's, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't, it doesn't mean because you didn't get the opportunity. You can't be happy for someone else to, to get the opportunity for self-growth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I would say that my biggest key takeaway from self-awareness is seriously, do not take it personally. Other people are going through their things. It's also, um, what's the word? It's intimidating when someone comes to self-awareness and lives authentically because you are stronger. You are more set, like, you're stronger in what you do. And so you can carry on your life. And I do think that that's intimidating for other people. Yeah, no, I, I get commented that a lot We you know, when we're in stressful situations or when crises are happening, my friends will always say, you know, you always like have your shit together. And the only reason that's possible is because I've done the self-awareness. I've done the growth to ground myself in situations and not be swayed so much by the events around me, knowing that I can only control what I can control. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was a great topic about self-awareness and authenticity. Is there anything else that you'd like to just mention before we head off? Yeah, I just would like to remind people that authenticity is an ongoing process of inquiry. It's really not a static state of being. A person isn't one day all of a sudden authentic, nor is authenticity something we achieve through accumulated effort. There's a lot to unpack with it, but I really just want you to remember that it's an act of resistance. You're resisting, you're pushing back, you're rebelling against the oppression of the outside world. So when something as necessary as authenticity is rebellious state, then the culture is broken. You're making a path for yourself. Yes. I, to your point, I would, yes, it is very much a fight. It's like a, a battle, like not like this. It is a battle. Like you will feel yes. as if you got out of a battle, like you'll be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but in yeah. the end, it all works out. But where can my listeners find you? 
Sure, you guys can find me on my website. It is from mundane to mistress. That is www.mundanemiss.com. It is a real life blog of my kinky and BDSM happenings. I'm also on Instagram at the D20Dom, D-O-M-M-E. And I've got a Patreon, but I don't really update it that much. No problem. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a great and I feel very powerful conversation. And yes, and for my listeners, as always, we'll be back next week and stay kinky.